Episode 50 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. We're going into the ego. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 50 of Fitness Behaviour of Bevan James Isles, your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Welcome along, guys. Welcome along to this month's show. Now, as I was saying at the end of last month's show, there's going to be a few changes in the show moving forward. And um, I said I'd kind of, I'm going to make it weekly. And, and as I kind of progress forward, I'm starting to think to myself that maybe I'll be better off to do it every two weeks, so every fortnight, so, and the whole idea that I'm looking at at the moment, and this is very much a moving target, so I'm just trying to figure out how this is going to work, is that, like always, once a month I'll do the traditional show, and then every other fortnight I'll do an interview show, and I've already done the first interview, which I'm not going to put in today's show, I'm going to put that in in two weeks from now, and the idea is that pretty much every second Monday you'll know that there's going to be a show there. I know that with this show, it's always been a bit of a random thing. I've aimed to get out within 30 days or a month, but it hasn't always come out exactly on that 30th day. And, and I think the idea of consistency around delivery is really important for podcasting. So uh, it will pretty much be on a Monday, every fortnight, the new show will be out. So just that know that it's going to be happening real soon, um, pretty much from this moment forward. So today is, I've released this on Monday in New Zealand. And, uh, and I suppose it's an important thing to remember is that New Zealand aspect of it. Uh, today's show, I've got a couple of subjects I'm going to kind of brush into today. It's a bit more of a couple of little small subjects today than necessarily one big one. Uh, there's this one thing I would like to talk about in regards to a, a, a press article that I wrote recently. Uh, I think I said, I, I know I started last month's show talking about a press piece that I read. And I know that for those of you who are on my email database, you probably, you know, maybe when I talk about these pieces, I'm not sure if, if there's value on you hearing about what I've, you may have already read from me. But anyway, I know that a lot of people who probably listen to the show aren't on my email database. And if you want to be, you can go to bevanjamesisles.com and just sign up there and it gets emailed to you every time I release one of my press pieces. But I wrote a press piece, and, and like I was saying last, last month's show, is that when you write a piece that really seems to connect with people, it's amazing how many people will tell you about the piece you've written. And I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago, which I got a massive amount of feedback on, and it was a really interesting piece. I thought I'd talk a little bit about it to, with you today. So um, it was kind of based around the fact that Joe and I have just bought a new car. And Joe and I... Uh, it's fair to say that we're far from being petrol heads. We're not the kind of people who care about cars. I'm a guy in my life from the age of about 20 through to about 28, I didn't even have a car. And I live in a city. I don't live in a big city. So if you live in like New York City and you're listening to this, you know, you, you, you can live without a car. Or if you live in like a Hong Kong or a London, you know, there's lots of places in the world where public transport and just the nature of your environment means you don't need a car but I live in in, in a big suburbia and, and to be honest in my world and people in Christchurch it's it's pretty rare you'll meet somebody without a car and from my pretty much all of my 20s I had no car I just used to bike everywhere and I think that's a real example of how 
how important cars are to me. I've never really looked at like I, I never even look at people with flash cars and, and have admiration for what they own or or what that car represents to them as a person or to the world. And uh, so, and um, no, when it comes to money, I'm very fortunate that Joe and I are very much on the same page and and our attitudes towards money and our philosophy towards money and and, and just our general approach towards money. And so when it came to buying a car, it was very much a a practical exercise for us. The whole idea was that we would kind of think about what do we, we need in a car, not necessarily what do we desire in a car. So Joe and I being kind of the, the anal planners that we are, we sat down and we kind of wrote a list of things that we needed in a car. We, we don't need a big car, so we wanted a kind of a small five-door hatchback. We wanted something that was reasonably cheap to run. Uh, we wanted something that would be low maintenance. Um, we didn't want to go a European car. If you're in New Zealand and you own a European car, they tend to cost you a little bit more for maintenance. And, and we did have a European car as our old car, and it did end up costing us a little bit more for maintenance. Um, we didn't need all the bells and whistles. We did want kind of some some new technology, like we wanted Bluetooth and so on. While, while we had these kind of practical things that we were looking for in a car, at the same time, we did want a car that we we enjoyed the look of. We didn't need it to be the latest Ferrari, Porsche or anything like that, but we did want a car that, you know, we liked the look of. So after sitting down and thinking of this practical planning to buying a car, we kind of started the journey towards buying a car. And it's one of those things where I'm not quite sure, I'm sure there is an actual a name for this is buyers, I'm going to call it buyers fatigue and it's one of those those exercises in your life where buyers can fatigue and often make you make bad choices and what do I mean when I talk about buyers fatigue? Well when you think about when you've had to do buy, do a purchase in your life that, that maybe requires a bit more time, so we've got our everyday purchases, you know you might go to the shop and buy some junk food or you might need a top and you, you know go to the mall and you choose a top but then there's that bigger ticket item you might decide that you want to buy uh, like a car or a, or a, you know some kind of electronical device you know maybe like a really amazing surround sound system or something like that and so you you kind of devote a period of time into research and and then looking for which one you want and then trying to find a deal around the one you want and often what happens is you might have let's say I've done my research and I find um, the, the surround sound that I really want and then you spend time trying to find a really great deal trying to get the bargain well at least that's what I tend to do but sometimes if that process goes on for so long the idea of price that you had can get stretched to a higher price point because you're just kind of the process has taken so long to get to this point and so Joe and I started this kind of car journey and we kind of thought that, you know, our needs were pretty basic. We weren't really looking to change the world with buying our car. And so we kind of thought that the process would be a very quick process. Well, it kind of wasn't. It ended up taking us probably a month to six weeks to actually, from the moment we started thinking we need to get a car until the moment we actually paid for a car and bought a new car. It was a really interesting experience buying a car. And it was a really interesting experience looking at my internal dialogue around the process of me, or maybe not even my dialogue, but just the process of my thinking process I went through when I bought a car. Now, when we first started, Trade Me is like the big auction news website in New Zealand, uh, eBay in America. I'm sure every country has, you know, that big auction website that you'll go to. And in New Zealand, it's Trade Me. So, 
Uh, when we first started buying the car, we, we started looking for the car. We jumped on a trade and we looked for cars that ticked our practical boxes and also sat within the price range that we wanted to spend. So Joe and I had done really well. We'd saved all the money so we could buy the car without having to borrow money. So we had the money sitting there so we knew how much we could spend. Now, as we first started looking for cars, again, it was very much look at the practical cars that sat within our box. But an interesting thing started to happen to me as I was starting to search for these cars. While I was looking for the cars that ticked the practical list that Joe and I had set up within the price range that was under what we had saved or on what we'd saved, I also started to look at cars that were above that price point and and were above the needs that we had set out for ourselves when we searched looking for a car. Now you can kind of understand why you'd look at cars above the price point because we deep down we all think we're great negotiators and we think that if we can find the deal of the century we can get a car above the price point that we were willing to pay. So for example, let's say you wanted to spend ten thousand dollars on a car and you know you really deeply think that if I have ten thousand dollars cash, I can probably look for a car somewhere around twelve to thirteen thousand dollars because we all know there's that kind of bartering process that happens in buying cars. So while we were looking at the price point, I was also starting to look above that price point. But what happened to me in that process of looking above my price point is my expectations around what I wanted in a car started to increase. So suddenly, I was comparing the list that I had in the cars that were in the price point that I had to cars above what we had originally set out. But another thing also happened to me which I found really interesting. Suddenly I started to look for cars that were very much a representation or, or, or that appealed to me because I started to think about how my world would see me if I drove this car. So as I was saying earlier on, when we thought about our cars, we didn't want a European car because um, history of our old car and also, you know, kind of in New Zealand, European cars cost a lot more to own. But suddenly the idea of buying an Audi car really appealed to me. And as I looked at the cars that were in my price bucket, I, I, I started to look at these European cars with this desire to buy a European car. Now, if I'm going to be 100% honest about this process and what I, what I thought about as I was learning this process was the only reason I wanted a car like that was to look good to other people. And what was really fascinating about this process was I was the cars that were in that next price bracket were cars that were outside of the money that we'd already saved. So I had... You know, I, I looked at these cars and and they were appealing to me because I wanted to look good to other people. I wanted to represent myself to the world through material things to a level that would actually require me to maybe consider borrowing money to own that car. I found this really fascinating because let's go back to my first point. My first point was I don't care about cars. Like I really don't care about cars. I never look at someone and go, oh my God, that's the car I want. I, I, I'm a guy who rode a bike for seven or eight years and didn't have a car. All my cars to this point in my life have been cars that have been pretty cheap bums, you know, pretty kind of average cars. But in this moment, when this buying choice came up, 
I was attracted to the idea that I could show the world that I was successful through owning my car. At the same time, I was willing, or if I was going to make that choice, I was going to have to do something that was kind of against what, like I don't believe in debt at all. One of the biggest things I think in life is if you can get debt away from your life, it's, it allows you to have freedom in your life. And, and one of the biggest traps people have in society is they, they accumulate all this debt in their life, which keeps them stuck in a life that they, they don't like. And so I've always been kind of a, a, di- a diligent fighter against having debt in my life. And in this moment, if I wanted to make a choice around a European car, there was the contemplation that maybe I'd have to have debt to do that. So I wanted to rip myself, represent myself to the world through a material thing and to show that I was doing well. But to show that I was doing well, I had to go against some of my core principles around debt. So actually, the showing of me doing well was, was almost a lie. Now, this is really fascinating me. I, I suppose there's a couple of things I want to say here. So first of all, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with showing the world you've been successful. I really don't. I, I think if you've worked hard in life and you've got a head um, and you want to show the, show the world that you've been successful, there is nothing wrong with that. I, I also don't believe that there's anything wrong in buying quality. Uh, like in the things I like in my life, I buy quality. Like my keyboard on my piano, uh, I've got a keyboard and I, I paid top of the range I paid thousands of dollars for this keyboard um, it's, it's something I spend two or three hours on not three hours probably one to two hours on every day of my life and I knew that I loved piano and I knew that I wanted a great keyboard so I saved hard and I, and I bought the best that I could because I knew it was something I wanted to do if you're a car person and you love cars and, and that fits within your your world that's all good but in this situation once again I'm not a car person. The only reason this appealed to me was for me to fulfill some egoic need to show the world that I was successful. This this is a this is a topic that's really, really interesting. And and if there's a book that really kind of highlights this this thing is it's, it's a book called Affluenza. And Affluenza is a very interesting book that I read quite a few years ago. I was once around at a friend's house in Wanaka and he had the book there and I picked it up and I and I couldn't put it down. I literally read it over two days. And it's a big book, so I kind of killed it. And um and Affluenza is an interesting study. It's a, a guy, I can't remember who wrote the book, but they, they start the book with a really interesting analogy. And the analogy goes like this. It goes, if I were to tell you how much I got paid to write this book. It would judge, lots of people would judge how successful I was. So he goes on and he says, I'm not going to tell you how much I get paid. I'm not going to tell you about this book. But let's say I got paid $30,000 to write this book. And you earn a million dollars a year. Now, if you earn a million dollars a year and you think that I got paid $30,000 to do this book, there's a high chance you'll judge this book based on me getting $30,000 a year. So you might think, wow, this can't be a good book because this person is not earning enough money. Vice versa. If you earned $20,000 a year and you read that I got paid $30,000 to do this book, in your mind, you may consider this book to be a good book purely because of the price point that I got paid. And in Affluenza, that's what this this real kind of, the, the message of the book is, is that, and he talks about capitalist societies in general, but in capitalist societies, what he talks about is how we, 
the way we judge ourselves are by the material things that we own. The way we judge ourselves are by the material things that we own. And what's really interesting about this book is he goes on to talk about how if you look at societies that are more capitalist, and I, I can't remember what, he has a term that kind of says, it's kind of like, you know, the the, the material representation of self. Um, I can't remember what it is, but if you look at societies that are more capitalist and have this kind of material representation of myself, the higher the depression rates are in those societies. And he spends a lot of time in this book going through pretty much every country in the world, or, or a lot of the countries in the world, not every country, but a lot of countries in the world, looking at what are the depression rates and how much have they focused on this whole idea of their, their, their worth is in their material things. And uh, I think we can all probably understand that America, being a big capitalist society, has you know one of the biggest problems in this front. And in this book, he talks about America and how the depression rates are massively high in America. And he talks about how in America, as a society, it is frowned upon to think that you would not work. And and if anything, you're seen in in a better light if you neglect other areas of your life to work. But then he talks about Norway, and Norway is the country that has the least depression in um, in the world. And what's really fascinating about this conversation or this study he talks about is that in Norway, if if you're a man and you work more than the standard 40 hours a week, society frowns upon you because society thinks that you should be spending time with your family. You should be doing, you know, doing things with your friends. You should have hobbies. So in Norway, for someone who works more than your stock standard 40 hours a week, you actually feel a bit of shame that you're doing that. Whereas in America, if you work your 40 hours a week, that can sometimes be frowned upon and the expectation is that you should work more and more to accumulate more stuff. And then if we look at the depression rates in different cities, there's this, this massive difference in depression in different countries. Now, I know I just pointed the finger at America. Let's be honest, a lot of countries around the world are duplicating what America have done and are falling into the same trap. And ultimately, what the conclusion of affluenza is that the more you focus on my worth being my material things the more you're leading yourself down a very unhealthy path in your life. And this car buying experience for me was one of those moments where I caught myself being attracted to me representing myself to the world in a material way. Now, if you're a listener in, you know, I've got listeners in, I think there's 120 countries that people listen to this show, which I absolutely love, and there's thousands of listeners around the world, so it's kind of cool that you guys are all around the world. So I imagine, depending on what's, what societal kind of norms you have, um, if you live in a country like like New Zealand, we, we sit more on the path of a, an America nowadays than what we do um, than in Norway, you can probably understand why I was attracted to that at that moment. And you may reflect on your life right now and reflect on how you've made choices in your life that are about you representing yourself through your material things. Have a think about it. Where do you feel you're good because of a material representation of yourself? Like if I had bought that car, and, and 
just just so you know, we did, we end up going with a, with a car that ticked all the boxes. We stayed within our price range. Uh, this this was a really good awareness experience for me, and it made me realize I was I was kind of making choices that were unhealthy for me. Um, and uh, we, we end up buying a Ford Focus. And it's a nice little car and it ticks all our boxes and it's cheap on petrol. It's cheaper than our old car on petrol, so we're pretty happy about that. Um, but if I had bought that car, you know, like w- when you think about yourself, where are those areas in your life when you do that? Where you have to show the world that you're being successful through your material things. Now, there's, there's this really interesting thought pattern that's kind of going through my head right now. And the first is, is what is the cost of, of, of you prioritizing or putting energy into this? And again, I, we need to go back and take a step back. It's not that material things are necessarily bad. Um, you know, again, if, if you've got areas of interest and you want to spend your money on that and, and all the rest of it, it's all good. The concern I have is when you make decisions that are about representing yourself that actually limits you, that have a limiting factors on your life. And, and like I was saying before, the debt factor may be one. So if you're borrowing money to buy something to show the world that you're more successful than what you currently are, well, there's a cost there. And it's a cost that can be quite a big cost. Because I, I know that, like, a, I'm not sure if I've talked about this experience when I was a young man, but when I was a young man, I left school and I, and I got into a lot of debt. And then I kind of evolved as a person and I wanted to go and study. Well, I had to work for a whole nother year before I could create the space to be able to study. And there's a lot of people in society who hate their lives, don't like their jobs, don't do it. You know, ultimately, if they had the choice, they'd be on a different path. But they have this debt that keeps them in that place. But actually, there's other costs. If we represent ourselves as something to the world, and it's being represented in a way that's actually both based on, um, not on the truth, what is what is the, the social pressure you feel around that? Let's say you borrow lots of money, and you and you you have a car that makes you look amazing, you um, you have all the gadgets. You, know, you you have a house in an area that's the best part of town, but actually you're you're mortgaged up to the hilt. What happens when things get a bit tough? What about your identity at that moment? Does it trap you in a place where you can't ask for help, or where you have to make desperate decisions, where you lose your ethics and your morals because you're you're holding on to this representation that actually isn't true? and is unhealthy for you? What is the real cost of you chasing a material representation of yourself that A, isn't real, and B, is unhealthy for you? To me, there are massive costs. There's the pressure to have to maintain something, a representation of yourself to the world that, that isn't true. There's there's the ongoing thought and around how do I how do I maintain this there's there's so many kind of negative costs there's the having to keep up with the Joneses but I think but 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 those are the bad costs but I think the worst cost is I'm spending my life putting all my energy into trying to show the world that I am something that maybe I'm not and instead, and I suppose the biggest cost is lost opportunity. 
And when I talk about lost opportunity, what I'm talking about is the lost opportunity for me to spend the right energy in my life, devoting my growth and my development on what's truly important to me. I'm going to say that again because it's, it's, it's really important. By me chasing a material representation of myself to show the world that I am of a level that maybe I aren't, one of the biggest costs is the lost opportunity for me to be able to spend my time, my energy, my resources in truly developing myself in, in the ways that are important to the core of what I am in my life. As I, ask, as, as I kind of say that statement, and you think about yourself in your life, how are you doing in that area? Is a lot of your energy going into making sure you have the things that show you're doing well in life? To representing yourself in a way that, that's keeping up with the Joneses? That's keeping with the social norms? That's got, you know, the, the house in the right area, the car and, and so on? How much time are you actually spending in your life devoting to your passions? to the evolution of your values, to, to the evolution of your, your intelligence and, and those types of areas. Because ultimately to me, is, is, that's when you find contentment. When, you know, like uh, one thing that you get a lot from people is I just want to be content, you know, I want to be happy with my lot. Um, well, if, if, if chasing the material representation of your life is, is where you're putting all your energy, you're never going to get there. Because that's what marketers are here to do. Marketers are here to make you want the next thing. So your whole life is going to be chasing this thing that is put in front of you that's actually ultimately not that important to you. Whereas if you were to, to spend time and your time developing yourself and what's truly important to you, Sure, you want to keep growing, but you'll be you'll be content. You'll be satisfied. You'll be you'll have all that good stuff that we ultimately desire. So I suppose I suppose what what's my point here? And and I, I think it's pretty kind of kind of clear as we get to this moment. Far out. I haven't even started the main part of the show today. This is meant to be the intro, but but I really I truly believe in this, guys. And, and I'm I'm not going to be I'm going to be honest. This is something I I, I battle within myself. Um, I like to show the world that I'm doing well, and um, and and I'm quite good at showing the world that I'm doing well. I am someone who vocalizes my success, um, and at times I will vocalize success in a material way, and, and it's something I've worked on within myself to to not make that into something, for something to promote to the world, and to also not do it in a way that's um, that makes me want to desire chasing it. And even then, someone who does spend time, who's aware of this, still gets caught in a trap when it comes time to buy the car. Like I was seriously considering buying a car above my price point. Luckily, I had the awareness, and and I had some thinking time. And and my partner Joe, she's she's pretty kind of she's like me, and she didn't want to spend more than what we could. So luckily, I had some some ways to stop, think, reflect, and make the right choice. And that means now that I don't have this pressure of this debt that makes me represent myself in ways that aren't possible. But as you think of your life, and you think about what you ultimately want from your life, what is it? And 
is chasing the material things as a way to represent yourself, restricting you from getting that. And if that's the case, and you've built this history of doing that, and this is the hard one, how do I move away from this? I was talking to someone the other day, and and they're in a life they really don't like. It's really interesting. They're in a life, it's one of my clients, they're in a life, they, they, it's fair to say they hate their life. They're a very successful person. If you look at this person from the outside, they're in a career, in a very, very respectful career, and they're at the highest level of that career. They are they're hugely successful in society. And it was really fascinating talking to this person because they had created this life that was all about them feeding the ego of making others think they are good. And as we were talking, they were talking about how they're looking at buying a new home. And the new home that they got was very much just about keeping up with the Joneses and showing the world that they're doing well. But that home came at a price point which would keep them trapped in the world that they didn't like. That ultimately, that representation was trapping them. And through the, through the work we're doing together, they're realizing that actually, what is a house? Is, is the house my life? And if this is going to trap me, I need to move away from this. So if you notice that right now you are you are trapped in this material representation world, how can you move away from that? And I think that a lot of it comes down to this idea of working on the other side. Working on the areas where you there is lost opportunity because you've chased the wrong thing. And slowly letting go of the need to represent yourself through the material way. It's not easy, I'm not going to deny it, especially if you live in societies where that's where we've been taught to think we've, you know, that, that others are successful. It's not easy. And, and again, I've been caught in the trap myself, and, and I still will, and, you know. But if you want the ultimate life for you, it's one of the best choices you can make. I feel I need to do my, my you know how I always close up with a statement, I always, you know, you know I'm, so, I'm so kind of cliche. I always finish, you know, if you want to be the best version of yourself, but I have to do it here, don't I? If you want to be the best version of yourself, spend your life figuring out how to represent myself in a way that's 100% true to what is important to me. To, to show the world that I have the courage to be who I am and I don't need things to show who I am. It's, it's the decisions I make, it's the actions I take, it's the things that I achieve, it's how I impact the world. If you do that, that's being the best version of yourself. I normally put music on now. <laughs> this is this is the weirdest show I've ever done. Um, I almost feel that could almost be the show, um, but this is called fitness behaviour, and <laughs> sometimes I wonder. Uh, sometimes I wonder. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? This is called fitness. So how do we look at this fitness wise? Okay, well let's spin it on its head. Uh, material representation limits my time to be myself, limits and attracts me in a world I don't like. Um, am I going to get exercise in? If I buy a car, or if I buy a house, if I buy the latest gadgets, if I have to show the world that I'm amazing, if I have to have all the latest fashion all the time, if that's the case, um, I'm going to have to work more. And if I'm going to have to work more, am I going to have quality time for exercise? Maybe not. That's my fitness start. That's why we call this fitness behaviour. Um, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do the other show this week, um, this month, because I, I think maybe I've kind of hit a big subject here, and, and I think this is one that we, we do want to kind of 
spend some time on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a bit of music on and pretend that's the outro to the main part of the show. And then I'm gonna come back and talk about a couple of little quick things before we wrap it up. As I, as I turn the music off then, or as I kind of push pause and put the music on, I, I kind of another thought came into my mind. And um, I, I, I hope you guys enjoy enjoying this. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, this whole idea of ego is kind of right in my head right now as I think about today's show. And, and obviously, the first part of today's show, this could go for a while, okay? So, you know, hopefully this doesn't go too long. But I, I was going to wrap it up and then, um, yeah, as you go, I, I may go longer. Um, as, as I thought about the ego stuff, I thought about a, an interesting thing that's happening in my life right now, and um, it's a really fascinating moment in my life. I'm, I'm 38, and I work for a company called Les Mills, and I've worked for Les Mills since I've been about 20, maybe 21, 22, a long, long time. Uh, I've been very fortunate in my career to achieve every goal I ever hoped to achieve in my, in my group fitness career. So for Les Mills, I teach group fitness so think of a pump class think of a, an aerobics class I, I teach those for Les Mills and Les Mills is this big international company I think they're in around 15 to 20,000 gyms around the world they've got you know like 100,000 instructors and you know it's this big big kind of big moving machine that, that does this great job of getting people exercising and uh, when I first started out in fitness I, I had these big lofty goals of trying to get to the highest level of Les Mills and uh, there's kind of the two highest points is to be a choreographer and the second level is to be a video presenter or a DVD presenter. Nowadays it's just a, what's a video or a DVD, but uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, video presenter. Um, and I never desired to be a choreographer. It's just, I, 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 you'd have to move to Auckland. I would never want to move to Auckland. Um, it was just never what I wanted to do. So my the biggest goal I ever hoped to achieve was to be a video presenter. And very early on in my career, I was very fortunate to achieve that goal. I became a video presenter for a body attack, a program called Body Attack. And um, I'm sure lots of you guys who listen to this are Les Mills people, and I'm sure if some of you even have seen me do my work on my Les Mills DVDs. And uh, fortunately for me, I seem to do a good enough job that I've been one of the faces who has re- consistently been a part of that video experience for pretty much my whole career within Les Mills. And um, it's a really interesting thing you do when you do when you stand up in front of a group of people and you help them to achieve exercise or, or you, you do something in an area that they love in their life. You get a lot of ego. You get a lot of a lot of identity and ego that comes with it. I, I can't deny it. Um, I, you know, through my time, I've, I've, there's a lot of positive perception of me from my world. I'm sure there's also some negative. I'm sure lots of people think I'm a bit of a dork, but, um, but generally speaking, this role has given me a stature in the world that is, is kind of kind of good for my ego. Now, at the same time, while I've been fortunate to achieve this stuff and, and I've got this this kind of ego and esteem and, and, and identity that's come through this, this thing that I've done, I'm now heading into the, the latter part. I'm now 38, and let's be honest, all, all movement-based jobs or, or sports, you know, you, you have a limited lifespan. And my lifespan is I'm, you know, nearly 40. And uh, so really I've probably got five six, seven years, really, 
at the highest level, maybe only another two or three years. I've known this for a while. So in my early 30s, I realized, okay, well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be moving on within the next 10 years. I need to develop this next life. So in my early 30s, I I started my running business. I started doing podcasting. I started, you know, I started developing these things so that financially and also just career-wise and also that I could keep making an impact because I love exercise and always you know my job my life's about getting people to exercise so in my early 30s I started developing this path so that when the moment came for me to jump off the Les Mills boat it would be an easy thing for me to do Uh, often in in passion industries you see people who are past their their peak moment and desperately trying to grip onto what they were in the past actually funny I was was, was in uh, Wanaka last weekend uh, we took some runners down to Wanaka and I was just at a magazine shop and they had this classic rock magazine and it basically had, uh, it was kind of designed for rock bands who were kind of big in the 60s, 70s, 80s and maybe early 90s. And and it was, you know, bands you'd know, but lots of rock bands. If you think of rock from those times, you'd know all the bands and, and pretty much every article you read, and it, it was mind-blowing, was all of them saying, I'm coming back to what I was. It was that was all of what they were saying, and uh, I didn't. I didn't want to be the person who was trying to grip onto the past. I, I've, I've always thought to myself, no, always focus on developing yourself towards your future. And as as I was reading these articles, I was thinking, wow, these guys they're trying to live from the glory of yesterday. Now I'm in a really interesting moment in my life right now because in my life right now, I'm getting to that moment where it's it's getting close to the time where I have to jump off the Les Mills boat. Um, not forced, but you know, like realistically, in the next period of time, I'm I probably won't be asked to be on the DVDs any longer. Uh, some of the the higher level opportunities that I've done in my time will start to dry up a little bit. It's just going to happen. Now, like I was saying before, I've done really well to prepare myself for this moment financially and and built these worlds and 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 so that I can keep on the path of passion, which is exercise and fitness. But one thing I'm finding really interesting within myself right now is I'm finding it really hard to let go of the ego. I'm finding it that I'm, I am starting to do that gripping thing, that gripping of trying to hold on to my position that I currently hold, even though that I know I can't. And, and even though I've created this safety net and an easy way for me to move out, so uh, just another quick example. One of the reasons I play music is because I love being on stage as a group fitness instructor. And I know that when I give up my group fitness instruction is I want to be on stage as a musician. That, like I, I knew that. That's why I've done that work. So I'm in this moment now where this transition isn't happening just yet, but it's going to be happening really soon. And And what's really interesting at this moment is I don't know if they're all the wrong things, but the 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 appeal of holding on to what that old life represents is is massive. And but deep down, I know it's the wrong thing to be putting my energy into my life. So is um so for example me trying to stay looking young so I can compete against young people who are going to come up and through is not the best use of my energy in my life. 
me trying to keep stupidly, stupidly fit so I can prove that I'm still the fittest guy. There's even deeper levels. For me, try to hold on to the positions that I currently hold, even though I know that realistically they're going to fade away. Do then I become a person I don't want to be? Do I have to become? Do I have to become someone who re- restricts and represses other people, so that they don't? They aren't a threat to me holding my position. You know, if it's a young guy coming through and and uh, he's looking really good, and and uh, do I have to start? Do I be critical of him because he's a threat to me in this position? Now, what's really fascinating? You know, these are these are some of the flow on effects of me of trying to hold on to to the ego. The identity, the you know the, those types of things that that role gave me. What's really fascinating to me about this is that Les Mills doesn't grow me anymore. Like when I think about what this business does for me, like when I was a young man and I came onto Les Mills, it was the best thing I could ever get in my life. And the reason it was the best thing was it challenged me, it grew me, man. I worked hard to be good at that job. And, and, I, and that whole idea of best version of myself at Les Mills at a certain moment in my life and for a long period of my life made me want to be the best version of myself. It really did. They, they do a great job of doing that in people's lives. Whereas now, I'm really, I'm very, I'm skilled at my job and I look for challenges in my job and, and, and that's a very much, a, it's a conscious effort that I have to do to make sure I find challenges in my job. I have to set goals, but it doesn't have that intrinsic, man, I just, I want to give everything to this thing. So if I spend the rest of the next period of my life trying to hold on to that past, I'm restricting the opportunity for me to find that next thing that makes me want to be that best version of myself. My ego, my need for my ego to be to be stroked in ways that are wrong, are limiting my my opportunity to experience life to higher levels for the rest of my life. And I suppose the the, the one thing I want to acknowledge here is that as a guy who's prepared for this moment and prepared well, like I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm, uh, that jump shouldn't be so hard. It's still hard, but I, but I, I know what choice I have to make. The use of my energy trying to grip onto the past will only lead to a bad path in my life. It will only lead to a path where I'll become a person I don't like, and be judging myself in ways that are unfair. The better path for me to move forward in my life is to to seek out that next thing, to explore, to immerse myself with people who are who inspire and grow me in ways that this old life can't anymore. So as you think about yourself around this this idea is where are you holding on to your identification, your ego, the rewards of your past that maybe aren't actually providing you what you ultimately wanted when you first started that thing. Like, again, for me, Les Mills, for the longest time in my life, provided so much growth and challenged me to be a better version. But now it doesn't so much. Now I've got to find these little challenges and they're never as as impactful as what it was when I was younger. I'm much better off to put my life into searching for the next thing and exploring the next thing. And as you think about your own life and you think about where are those areas for me, 
is it time that you start to develop ways out of that? You may need to do the building blocks that I've done 10 years ago or seven or eight years ago of, you know, getting ready to transition. You may need to look at, you know, the financial side of it. You may need to look at certain areas to overcome that. But then at the same time, you, you, you need to be aware of what you should be putting your energy into and moving towards so that you start to build identity, growth, you know, all those good things that you want in your life as you move forward. I hope, I hope that kind of, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I, I wonder if I've talked about this before. I hope I haven't. Um, but I hope that insight shares with you. And I, 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 it's important for me to acknowledge that this isn't easy. Like I'm a guy who set it up well. It isn't easy. But at the end of the day, what's my life going to be if I'm trying to hold on to something from the past that actually no longer adds to the value that, that I need in my life? What's your life going to be if you are holding on to, to things that are no longer providing what you need in your life? And what could it be if you were going to spend that energy in developing the next thing that's going to give you that in your life? Interesting stuff to think about. And again, because I'm kind of doing my wrap it up, I honestly believe that if you do this, you'll be that higher version of yourself. Okay, so long pause there, long pause. I know there's a, there's a guy I do podcast. I've, I've talked about Dan Carlin on the show before. Dan Carlin's my favorite podcaster in the world. He, I think he sets the benchmark for podcasting. And if you listen to my first podcast, I tried to be like Dan Carlin. He spends a lot of time and he, he's very slow and thoughtful. And uh, he has long pauses. And sometimes when he's, when he's doing the show, you think the audio is broken. And um, sometimes I wonder if you guys experience that as well. I do have an email. So this, I'm meant to be wrapping things up, but I do have an email. So I'm going to send you through an email. Uh, I'm just going to pause for a second. I'll be back in one second. And I am back. It's just, it's just a thought on the discussion that I had at the end of last month's show. So last month's show, I got a question around what's the difference between um, an athlete and just someone who really enjoys exercise. And i got a guy called Robbie Allen. He's a good friend of mine, actually. And he was just listening to the podcast. He's always very supportive of my work, which I like. Robbie's a good man. And uh, Robbie's a really cool man, actually. He's kind of this young, ambitious man. And we've kind of had this really cool relationship. We're kind of this friendship where we don't see a lot of each other. Um, but he's he's kind of this man who's a worldly man. He travels around the world. And he's currently living in New York. And um and he's, he's just got a good heart and he's intelligent and all the rest of it. And, uh, but he, he's from Christchurch. So every time he comes back to Christchurch, which is maybe once or twice a year, we always catch up for coffee and we kind of lock out three hours because we're getting deep and meaningful. But um, he was just saying that, um, here's what he said. He said, the thought on the exercise, uh, the athlete question was interesting. You offered a few different definitions and obviously it's an open question. But the idea that I've always liked is to link the Training versus exercise. Training is where you undertake exercise with specific goals of improving and achieving something, which I would, uh, which I would think would be explicitly competitive or personal. Exercise is where you go for a run for the enjoyment or to keep fit in a very vague sense. I think it's a really good definition. Tra- athletes train, everyone else exercises. That's my two cents worth. I do think it's a good point. Like I know that myself. I, I see myself more as an exerciser at this moment in my life than uh, an athlete. Um, I, I do exercise a lot, but I'm not necessarily training for any kind of 
uh, big goal, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm, I'm, my body's getting good. I've had a lot of injuries this year. My body's getting good and over the last couple of years. And um, I am thinking I might sign up for a marathon later on this year. So I am starting to kind of plant that seed of being an athlete again. But definitely, I think it's a really good point, Robbie. Um, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up, guys. Um... So what's happening here forward with the show? So from pretty much from here forward, I'm going to put the show out today. But then from, let me look at my little calendar here. I'm going to pull up my monthly calendar. And pretty much from the 20th onwards, it's going to be a, a, a what's a bi-weekly? A fortnightly, a fortnightly podcast. So from the 20th onwards, it's going to be a fortnightly podcast. And I'm going to release it every Monday from that point forward. Like I was saying, it's going to have every two weeks, I'll have an interview. And then every other couple of weeks, I'll do a show like today's show, my traditional fitness behavior show. I got a lovely email from Donald. Donald's, um, you guys are so good to me, I have to say. Or at least the people who communicate with me are so good to me because, um, I'm very, very lucky that the people who communicate to me about my work are always very, very generous. And Donald, Donald James, he is, and he's this guy who's who's an American. He works for NASA. I love it that he works for NASA because he, he's obviously a very smart man, and um, and he's just this lovely, lovely man. And through the years, he's communicated with me and, and said how a lot of my works helped him, and he just shared some insight. But he just sent me this lovely email. Um, saying he really loves the podcast and he's a little bit excited and nervous about where we're going with the podcast moving forward and he's just said I'm nervous because I really like your style of diving into a topic and how you personalize it and make it so real uh, I'd be lying if I didn't acknowledge my concern that we'll lose that since you'll be doing more interviews which is fine but I've learned a lot but uh, let me be candid. I like listening from and uh, from you and only you. Uh, I always feel like you're talking directly to me. You always have a perfect thing to say. I was just telling my wife today that you, if I'm coming to New Zealand to meet you at some stage, and Donald, I'd love to have you. And I'll take you out for dinner and come to Christchurch. But um, I, I, that's that's Donald. You're a bloody rock star, and I really appreciate that you have those thoughts, and and maybe others are having those thoughts. And and ultimately, I think why am I doing this? And again, I, I talked a little bit about this last month. Um, it's just hard when you only put a month of these podcasts out to get exposure. Also, I, I fortunately I do seem to have the ability to get the access to some pretty great thinkers, and it will be that the kind of two shows will be slightly different. You know, the one that I do monthly like this will be your traditional show, and then the other one I'm trying to get insight from other people. So it'll be me being the interviewer, and, and so there'll be two kind of different formats. And uh, but I think ultimately it's all leading towards you getting more value around how you can learn to love exercise and just become a deeper self. So I really hope that that works really well. And I am going to have a consistent consistent release date with that as well. So look out for that. Um, I will be starting the patronage kind of idea when I do the next show, and that's the whole idea of maybe you know financially you guys can support the show because obviously with the interviews I'm going to have to put more time and energy into it as well. So look out for that. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up. It's been 15 minutes. It's uh. You know, the subjects I was going to talk about today, I didn't even talk about. Tell you what, Donald, if you ever do come to New Zealand, lock out five hours because I'll talk your bloody head off. Anyway, you guys rock. I'll see you next month. If you've got any questions, email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. Check out my book, The Fitness Attitude. You can get that on Amazon. And uh, you guys rock.